co-hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I am joined, as always, by The Athletic senior writer, Chris Vanini. As always, another reminder, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on the Andy Staples Show and Friends feed. Andy and Ari always have something cooking, so you want to stay tuned throughout the offseason. There's also been no shortage of news as we've gotten going here in the offseason um, as we sit here late February, early March. So on today's episode of Power Hour, we will break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less. Uh, and Chris, it's been a, a, a an extra week because I was off last week, so we've got two or two weeks worth of news. We should just probably dive in. I'll let you take it away. Yes, good to be back. Appreciate everybody for listening. And yes, there's no shortage of news to talk about this week on Power Hour. Number one, the ACC, the conference we kind of don't talk about very much with conference realignment uh, because they feel like they're locked in for a while. And that might be the problem because Florida State's Board of Trustees had a meeting uh, last week and talked about a number of issues. And among them, Athletic Director Michael Alford talked about how far behind Florida State is relative to the Big Ten and the SEC especially and moving forward with television revenues. Uh, You're talking 30, 40 more million dollars annually at some point once these new deals kick in. And, you know, Alford was asked basically like, can we leave the ACC? How would that work? Uh, The answer is, Technically, it would only cost, I think they said, maybe $120 million to get out, which you could make up for in future years. The problem is the group of rights means, the grant of rights, I'm sorry, means that your TV rights are still stuck with the ACC. That's what binds schools together on television deals. Getting out of that, not even known if it's legally possible. It might cost something more than $350 million. You'd have to get ESPN to agree with you. There's a lot going on there which uh, we could talk about a little bit later. But yeah, this came out on a Friday. I think some people kind of missed it when it happened. But uh, don't forget the ACC has got its own issues. It does. And we are going to get to this uh, on the rocks later in the show. But also wanted to point out that Clemson Athletic Director Graham Neff has also been pretty vocal lately about unequal revenue sharing. And the fact that Clemson deserves more. So you now have Clemson and Florida State at the very least saying like we deserve more than others in our own conference and the grant of rights issue that you're describing, like the issue is that you don't control your own rights, right? Like you wouldn't be able to be broadcast essentially. Um, So that's where that comes into play versus like an exit fee. And if you remember the ACC had some issues around Maryland's exit to the big 10 and that's why it became very, very hard to get out of the ACC and, and this grant of rights. So um, it, it's very interesting, especially for the league that has a media rights deal locked in through 2036. But we've talked about this a lot. They're going to get leapfrogged and everyone else is going to make more money than them. And some of these leagues, Big Ten, SEC, they're going to have their rights again before the ACC would in 2036. So interesting situation. We will dive into it more later in the show. Um, but let's go on to number two in the news of the week for the for the Power Five. It's what's going on with the Pac-12. This is the storyline. This is a conference we have talked a lot about lately. And we're still waiting on a media rights deal. It has been a lot of months. We're talking 
seven, maybe eight months now since the Pac-12 opened up their negotiations. We know that um, the New York Post reported that Apple is involved in the negotiations. They're in the mix. Uh, we, we think that they may want exclusivity, like 100% of the deal. Um, we, we are still waiting to see what that puzzle pieces look like. What are the percentages of streaming? Um, who are those partners? What is that payout per each school per year? One piece of news that we did glean on Monday was from Oregon State's president, uh, President Murphy. She spoke to John Canzano, and she was talking about a number of issues related to the Pac-12 deal and just sort of like the things that need to be part of it. Um, she was asked about the balance between, you know, look, streaming package and then maybe a more traditional partner. And she said, quote, we're all looking for a good, strong deal. There's obviously all the linear stuff, the streaming. We're looking for a mix of those things. She also told Canzano that the presidents and chancellors in the Pac-12 have talked about unequal sharing of media rights revenue and unequal sharing of postseason revenue. She said, quote, there have been discussions about those things. Um, we've had those discussions. They're fair discussions to have. But nevertheless, I know it says underneath is a commitment to the Pac-12. We want to hang together. We find a lot of value with each other. So we work out what needs to be worked out. Um, Chris, what, what were your thoughts when you saw these comments from President Murphy? Well, the Pac-12 has taken a beating in the narrative, so to speak, over the last many months. And you're starting to see more and more people around the league at least try to put on a, a strong face. You had uh, Ray Anderson, the AD at Arizona State, said, I think last week he said, look, it, it probably the money probably won't be what we hoped for, but it will be good enough to keep us together. Yeah, you had the statement from the, the, the presidents a couple weeks ago saying that we're together and committed on this. Now you've got the Oregon State president saying, uh, I still think we, we all want to hang together. So uh, maybe it's wishful thinking. Maybe they are very much closing in on a deal. This is coming up on the time when, when we thought it would be done by now or could be done by now. So we will see. Um, nobody has jumped ship, obviously, despite uh, certain prognostications in uh, certain places. But uh We'll see. Number three. Oh, I just want one quick thing. Um, yeah. I do think we are approaching that deadline. Like, I, I think mm -hmm. when you talk to people around the league, the optimistic timeline was maybe to have something in to advance uh, the basketball championship or to announce at the championship. Right. Yes. That's coming up. Um, it's we're, we're days away. It's March now. And. That's coming up. I think also, you know, the Final Four is a natural deadline. I, I think we're going to get clarity on this in the coming weeks. Yes. Number three, uh, we could have some clock changes in college football this fall. Uh, this week, some of the, the competition and the rules committees are, are meeting to, to talk about certain proposals. There are three major, three minor tweaks that, that, that are at least have a good amount of support. One of them is running the clock after first downs immediately, like the NFL outside the last two minutes, banning the use of consecutive timeouts by a team. Uh, so no more Pat Fitzgerald icing the kicker three times in a row. Uh, or And also carrying over a foul at the end of the first or third quarters into the next quarter instead of playing another untimed down. Uh, obviously, some of these are extremely minor. Running the clock after first downs like the NFL um, could shave off a handful of plays. But uh, none of these are going to make big 
big changes yet. There, there has been discussion again this year and last year about running the clock after spotting the ball after incompletions. That, it appears, is unlikely to move forward again. But it is something that keeps coming up, and I've got a story on The Athletic about that specific part. But, Nicole, what do you think about these three possibilities? They make a lot of sense. I personally do kind of enjoy the multiple attempts, uh, timeouts to ice a kicker. And then you when do the kicker, well, no, I mean like, I like it in theory. I like the head game idea, <laughs> Okay, but no, I don't like, like sitting through it. So yeah, no, these are all fine. I, I think these are all areas that have been discussed and were discussed last year. And to me, they just make a lot of sense. You're trying to cut exposures and, plays out of the game and we all know that you know in the proliferation of spread offenses there are more plays in the game and they have all of this data so I'm glad they're going to try something I think it's just going to be the first step I think you know if they get the desired outcomes we could see more drastic changes down the road but you're right it's going to affect like what a handful of plays per game and it should help it's moving in the right direction I mean all of the rules changes we've seen in recent years have been about player health and safety and we're walking into an expanded college football playoff era where you're going to be asking certain teams to be playing more games. So you got to do whatever you can do to cut down on exposures and opportunities for injuries. So I think it makes a lot of sense that we should get a little more clarity by Friday. And then, you know, that needs to get rubber stamped by the uh, playing rules oversight panel at some point later in the spring. So that's an interesting one to keep an eye on that would take effect this fall uh more ncaa related news number four got some news out of the committee on infractions this week i spent time with them last week in las vegas part of the reason we didn't have a power hour show as i was all over the map and all over the country and i was talking to members of the committee about a like why they do this it's pretty much a thankless job uh, does not we, seem fun it's it's not it's a lot of work like they were talking about how these hearings um it's like thousands of pages of testimony you're preparing and and doing but yeah like no one everyone likes the idea of the committee on infractions because they want other people to get punished but they don't want themselves to get punished when they break the rules so it's just a very it's it's, it's a very interesting time for that group we've talked a lot about like the nil presumption and new changes about like what the enforcement staff can investigate and that they can presume a an NIL violation occurred and then the school has to prove that it didn't like that's that standard that change is going to be something to watch over the next few months and year here um but so is the infractions and just sort of like what the penalties are going to look like but you're still seeing cases that were processed before that change and so like I was there and the they put out the agreement, the negotiated resolution for the Miami women's basketball program. We all know this involved the Cavender twins and John Ruiz. So basically like the who's who of the NIL era in college sports. Um, and they found that Miami's head coach, they were able to say that she committed violations in the recruiting space because Ruiz was a booster. She connected him to the prospective athletes etc cetera, etc cetera. it wasn't an nil inducement it was contact like impermissible contact and that booster john ruiz was representing miami's athletic interests etc so it, it was it was mo more minor 
then I think we're probably going to see under a new standard, potentially. We don't know until we get a case with it. But it was one of those things where, like, they had to put bold and italicized letters above the decision to be like, hey, actually, for all the boosters reading this, like, we are prepared to disassociate you from a school. We just couldn't do it in this case because it was negotiated and, like, it wasn't an option for us to add as a penalty. So that's something to to keep an eye on, too. This was basically a slap on the wrist, and it wasn't saying that, like, the NIL deal induced them is the reason they committed to this school. That's what a lot of people have been waiting for, that kind of decision. We also got this week part of the Tennessee infractions case, the one that ultimately cost Jeremy Pruitt his job. Um, four of his former assistants uh, and staffers accepted show cause penalties and they negotiated their agreement. So what we know is that the Jeremy Pruitt piece and the Tennessee, like the school piece of this, is going to be contested that's going to go to a full hearing so they split that case in half and that is still tbd so a lot of minor updates here from the infractions world in uh we'll see and and again all that stuff is being processed before rules changed on january 1st so there's still some other cases in the pipeline that we'll probably get some answers on but if people are waiting for like that hammer decision from the ncaa that has not come yet the biggest thing I got from your story was that they're encouraging cooperation and trying to give more lenient penalties if that happens, because we know a lot of people don't want to cooperate. And also they want to punish the adults, not the players. So you're talking coaches, you're talking boosters, not as much on the players. I do think both of those, no matter what you think about the NCAA, I do think both of those are positive steps forward. It's also good that they're being a bit more transparent about how this works now. Uh, number five, uh, Florida Gators, been a few weeks since we talked about them, but a few weeks since they had any uh, sort of major drama. Uh, they have lost three assistant coaches right before spring ball. Uh, wide receivers coach Kerry Colbert went to the Denver Broncos. Um, Patrick Tony, co-defense coordinator, uh, went to the uh, Arizona Cardinals, as well with tight ends coach William Piegler. So Florida suddenly had three openings. Spring practice opens on March 4th. It was uh, a up and down first year for Billy Napier at Florida, but he lost Anthony Richardson early to the NFL. You had the whole Rashada situation. Now you're losing some assistant coaches right before spring practice, just the nature of the coaching carousel. Uh, kind of a up a bit of a rocky start to Billy Napier's uh, tenure here, now going into year two. It's very interesting. It's also very interesting like how late the assistant coaching carousel is going. Yes. I know there's been a lot of movement between like college and pro coaches switching back and forth, but I was talking to uh, Barry Odom actually last week and we were just kind of lamenting about just like how many changes there are still and how many open jobs there still are in the assistant coaching ranks. And he obviously had to hire two different offensive coordinators in this cycle because Bobby Petrino went to AM. So it's like, it, it is happening to a number of head coaches this year. So that's, Interesting. I, I don't think I think our friend Ralph Russo at the AP had a really good point about this. It's not like, oh, my God, this guy is falling. College assistants are jumping to the NFL because Correct. Of NIL and the calendar and stuff, because there's always going to be people who want that job. But we have seen a lot of movement actually in both directions this year. 
Correct. There, there are not more coaches going to the NFL this year than previous years. Just based on the numbers, that is not the case. It is, like you said, just happening later than normal because some of the just the way the NFLs are putting their NFL teams are putting their staffs together is dragging out a bit more. And suddenly it's creeping into college football spring practice, which was not the case before. But no, coaches can yell and scream and complain about NIL and transfers and all this stuff, but they are not leaving at any higher rate than they were before. Also, some of these schools practice early. Like it's like some of these are sp- early spring balls. Some coaches prefer to wait, you know, until as late as possible. So, you know, that's part of it too when it runs into actual spring practice. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's move over to our happy hour segment. This is a part of the show where we talk about things that we're excited about or intrigued by. And I know that this is a college football podcast, but got to say, it's March. This is March. And I'm actually really excited to tell all of our listeners that there will be special editions of Power Hour for college basketball over the next month. And I will be joined by CJ Moore, who does an awesome job covering Kansas, the Big 12, Houston, everyone in that sort of part of the country. Later this week, we will be previewing all of the action, a lot of games with a lot at stake this weekend. And we'll catch you up on the college basketball season to date. Um, But Chris, I I just really want to tell our listeners, even though I will tell them on this exact same feed later this week, that I love this time of year. I covered college basketball primarily for six years. And when the calendar turns, there is something special that happens. And we're about to head into conference tournament weeks, which is also so fun because, you know, you've got those one bid leagues where there's so much at stake. Um, It's just going to be a blast. And I am just very excited for it to all be here and to get all of this college hoops and for it to have its moment. This is a sport I think about a lot. And I think about the troubles that it faces and calendar problems and the overlap and being overshadowed and the one and done rule and all these issues. But this is the month where it is the best. It is the best postseason that we have in sports and it's right around the corner. So that is what I am happiest about this week. Yes, if you've been wondering uh, if we were going to have some more basketball, college basketball on the Athletic Podcast, yes, that is coming. And I I cannot emphasize enough how excited I am to hear that you will be catching people up on what you may have missed throughout the college basketball season because I am someone who has not paid attention to most of the college basketball season outside of the last couple of weeks, really. And look, Saturday was insane if you watch college basketball. You had Florida State uh, winning on a – buzzer beater you had arizona state winning on a half court buzzer beater iowa had a ridiculous comeback against michigan state Uh, san diego state beat new mexico on a buzzer beater um just uh, there's a lot going on in college basketball right now at the exact right time you want it to yes and i think the best finish of the entire season on sunday caitlin clark shot did you watch that live that was yes yes iowa women's basketball Quite a yeah. quite a two days at Carver Hawkeye Arena for for Iowa men's and women. I texted oh. Scott Dockerman immediately. I mean, those were two all time finishes, um, and the way that they won those games 
was pretty incredible. Um, so yes, we will be diving into all of that at the special basketball editions of Power Hour over the next few weeks. Very excited for that. Chris, the other thing that is happening this week is we officially have the changing of the guard at the NCAA presidential role. Mark Emmert is out. He's officially done. It's been more than a decade that he's been the president of the NCAA, and Charlie Baker officially took over as of March 1st. You can read my piece on The Athletic, kind of going through his priorities and what he's focused on, really fixated on NIL. Understandably, that's been the number one thing that's come up in his conversations with people over the last few months since he got this job. But like, this is it. It's time for a new tenure. It's time for something new. Uh, it's a blank page for the NCAA moving forward. And it's a really interesting time for someone to be taking over this role. So that is something I'm happy about. I think that there's a lot of people who are happy to see the end of the Mark Emmert era and ready for some fresh leadership with someone they think can communicate and listen and maybe be proactive in some of the places that Mark Emmert wasn't. Yes, it, uh, it it's a bit in the weeds for people who maybe don't follow NCAA stuff, but, but there is a lot of change going on within the NCAA. Charlie Baker up top, you know, directing where things go. Nicole just talked about the infractions process and trying to open that up and be more transparent with the media and, and other things and how they play out. And even, even Emmert said uh, just this week on, I think it was College Sports Connect, basically that um, he regrets not talking enough about the work the NCAA does, the care that they have for athletes and various things. And he felt that they did a poor job under his leadership or he did a poor job of explaining positives and, and just doing stuff like that. And also, you know, he had interesting comment of like, you don't want to lose nine, nothing in the Supreme court, but basically he didn't regret that because uh, it gave them clarity on where to move forward. I don't buy that at all. I don't know if I would agree with that. I don't, I don't at all. I mean, it totally changed the legal environment that they're in yes. and it created this world where everyone is just under the general assumption that the model is going to have to change based on that Supreme court ruling and the things that were written and the way that the concurring opinion said like, Hey, bring on more cases. We're ready. Like, that, there's yes. no way to look at that and say that that was a positive. So, yes, Mark Emmert going out uh, the way much of his tenure went, which was saying something that his colleagues could not believe. It's, it's very true. That is the exact way to sum that up. And that was um, a happy hour segment. Oof. Well, uh, yeah, we, it is time for On the Rocks, okay? Now, these are topics that I know you feel very passionate about, um, so I want to make sure we have time for them. And... We're going to hit on the future of streaming. You wrote about this recently on The Athletic. It has been a point of contention when people have talked about the Pac-12 potential media rights deal if it's a very high percentage streaming. But the first topic is this idea of unequal revenue sharing. And in, in, in on the rocks, we, we talk about friction in the sport somewhere, trying to work through it. This is really what the ACC is going to have to try to work through now. We know that there were conversations about the idea of unequal revenue sharing at their winter meetings. Nothing was resolved or came out of it. But now you have the biggest brands and their representatives saying publicly that they think that they deserve more. It's a really interesting dynamic. So, Chris, what would you do 
I guess either side, like if you're Clemson and Florida state, are you banging the drum for this? And then if you're Boston college and Pitt and Virginia, like, what are you doing? Unequal revenue sharing is fascinating because it is basically one of the reasons the big 12, big 10 is as strong as it is. And in, in sec to an extent too, while other conferences have had some issues, basically, should you give more money to the teams in your conference that make the most money to essentially keep them happy to, 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 for fairness or whatever. And to me, it's different with each conference. And it ultimately comes down to who has the leverage. If you're the ACC, Florida state and Clemson are locked in unless there was some legal maneuver to get around the grant of rights, which we have yet to see they're stuck with you for a long time. So if you give up some of that money, you're not making it up elsewhere unless it comes from the new CFP potentially like there's not going to be like a ton more television revenue coming in what do you what do what what does that do does that do, that doesn't keep Florida State and Clemson with you they're already with you like it, it, like if you're Boston College what do you get from losing something like that it, you know if you're Wake Forest what do you get from giving up more money nothing you get what you already have it's different with say the Pac-12 which is trying to convince schools not to jump to the big 12 or, or, or whatever. If the big 10 comes calling, you're jumping. There's nothing you can do about that. But the PAC 12, as the Oregon state president mentioned, it is a bit of a different situation because there is more of an incentive to try to keep teams together because they are not stuck together for as long of a time like the ACC is. So, you know, Florida state and Clemson can, you know, complain about their situation and they're not wrong. But it's also the situation they agreed to. I think about this too. I, I think this is a fascinating dynamic as well because you're conference mates and you are ostensibly like on the same team. But one thing that's become really clear in the last couple of years with realignment is everyone's become really brazen about just saying like, no, I'm it's me first. Like I got to take care of my campus. And we've seen that with schools that have put out graphics about like all of their benefits and their you know, their reach and their facilities and all these things because they want to be more attractive to other conferences. But you also see it, you know, in the fact that people are willing to talk about like saying like, I deserve more than other people in my conference, which just would never have been a thing that someone would have said publicly 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago. Well, I mean, it just unless, wasn't... You're, unless you're Texas or Oklahoma, which kind of also said that and kind of got that because the well, Big they... 12... Right. I mean, rights you could do. That's why longer network exists. Yeah. Texas. Yeah. I mean, and, that, and that's the thing. And like, if you think about like where USC was and like their level of happiness within the Pac 12, when that changes and you don't have, when you have equal sharing and you think you bring more value, it creates friction. So I get why this is a thing. It's just not always something that people are saying out loud. And that's what's really interesting about it to your point about in a situation where you're locked in for a really long time because there are going to be people who are going to say whatever the exit fee plus the cost of getting out of the grant of rights and like buying your rights back would be worth it. That you would still, you know, maybe you can take out a loan against it. Maybe you can pay it back, but you're going to make up that difference if you're getting lapped and others and other schools and other leagues are making $30 million more than you per year. Just extrapolate that out, right? And you'll make that money back. There are people who are going to say you should do that. And we know that the lawyers of all of the different schools in the ACC have been looking at these documents, right? And have been figuring out how ironclad it is. And, I, you know, until someone challenges it, you have to defer to it being ironclad. No one has left 
between Oklahoma and Texas jumping to the SEC. And today, as we record this, because it's really hard to get out of. I mean, if the ACC schools were available, then we're talking about all different things for realignment because there's a lot of schools in that league that the SEC and the Big Ten would be interested in. So that's an interesting piece of this for sure. And I get wanting more and wanting the league and your other, you know, kind of your league mates to understand that and and admit that you're bringing more value. I mean, if you think about, I've got a piece this week that's running about basketball. It's running about the West Coast Conference and about Gonzaga. But really, it's about everybody else in the league having to elevate their product, having to invest more in their resources and facilities because of Gonzaga, because Gonzaga was so good. But one thing that was really important, and this was in part because Gonzaga had leverage as an attractive candidate in a round of realignment, but Gonzaga basically kept most of their money. Like the way that the postseason revenue is split in the WCC is not even like Gonzaga, the further they get in the tournament, the more of that money per unit they get to keep. That is an important dynamic for Gonzaga staying in the WCC all this time. They might leave eventually, but like that has been a dynamic that mattered that they got to keep a lot of, they got to eat what they killed a lot of the time. So it's not like an unfamiliar idea. If you're saying like Clemson has been the one who represents us and goes to the CFP and brings in CFP money for us, should they get more money? Like these are fair questions to ask. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And in that the postseason revenue part is perhaps the most doable because of like what you just mentioned with Gonzaga. It, look, Clemson makes the money by going to the national championship game. They should get more of it. That's fair. But we also don't know what the new CFP contract is going to look like. If, if you're going to get conferences, get money based on how many teams they get in, or if the power five, just get however many for being a power five, that is that, that CFP contract is the next big media rights deal that will shape uh, a lot of this stuff. The, the other, one other thing with the grant of rights is that, again, unless something miraculous changes, you can't get out unless like the media partners want you to get out. That was a holdup with Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 early was that Fox was just going to lose Texas and Oklahoma and not get anything out of it while the while ESPN would have because they were going to the SEC. ESPN right now is getting Florida State and Clemson and the, AC, the rest of the ACC on the cheap because they signed this deal a long time ago. And it's going to be even more valuable for ESPN moving forward because they will be paying so much less than, than what is elsewhere. So if if you're the SEC, uh, I'm sorry, if you're ESPN, maybe you don't want Florida state and Miami and whoever to go to the SEC uh, because then you would have to pay more to the SEC. You also don't want them to get out and go to the big 10, which is a Fox property right now. So like there, there are a lot of dynamics in this and that's why the major broadcasters play such an important role in how college football is shaped. And this is also why, you know, when you think about people putting leagues in camps, like you just did ESPN Fox, it's mattered that Fox has invested more and really aligned itself with the big 10. Right. And that they have pushed back on ESPN in certain ways. And ESPN does not have a deal with the big 10 in the future. Like that's going to be weird. And we're not in that world yet where it's fully started and taken over yet, 
But all of this is just people aligning and going all in. When ESPN is the exclusive partner of the SEC, they're even more aligned with their interests and doing whatever it takes for the SEC to be as valuable as possible because they're broadcasting it. This conversation gets us into the second topic I wanted to hit for, for On the Rocks, and that is the question of streaming because the Pac-12 deal is probably going to have more streaming than everyone else's deals. Although we don't actually know what the breakdown is for the Big 12 deal. Like, there's going to be content that is required to be on ESPN+, Plus, which is technically streaming, but we just don't know the breakdown. They never put out a kind of an inventory list in the right. same way that the Big 10 did, where it was like, here's how many basketball games will be on Peacock, etc. They didn't do that. So we don't know exactly. But feels like a safe bet to assume that the Pac-12 is going to have a lot of content on streaming. You wrote about this. What is that going to mean for the Pac-12, but also just for sports that we've seen different leagues align themselves with streamers? What would it mean for a Power 5 league to do that? I'll, I'll start off by noting that I think if you moved all the current Pac-12 network stuff to a streamer, that is probably a good thing because I can't get the Pac-12 network. I, I don't I want, I don't want to change my cable just so I can get that one network. But if I have Apple TV, if I have Prime Video and it's available, I'm more likely to get it. So I do think it would make it more accessible than it is now. However, streaming is not going to be the savior for college football to keep college football as we know it, which I think was the belief maybe 10 years ago, the last time we went through realignment. And there are a few reasons for this. One as we just talked about, the value of each conference varies widely now. The Big Ten is making more money. The SEC is making more money. The NFL is making more money. NBA will soon be going through its deal. The new CFP contract is coming up. That is less money available for the Pac-12, for whatever the next Big 12 deal looks like, and other conferences and other sports. Disney CEO Bob Iger said on a recent earnings call that uh, regarding the NBA, like ESPN is going to have to be more selective in their rights. You saw ESPN lose the Big Ten. You see Fox not bothering to go into the Pac-12. So you're running out of options. And if you're the if you're the Pac-12 and you think, hey, Apple or Amazon can be our leverage to try to get ESPN to give us more money, I don't think that's going to work because putting a lot of stuff on a streamer is just not going to work compared to putting it on ESPN because college sports is different than pro sports. This isn't the NFL. This isn't major league soccer, which has a big Apple deal. College is about exposure. It's about recruiting and it's about donors. And if you're the PAC 12 and you go all in on Apple TV plus, like there is no way you can spin that into a win, no matter what the money is. And in and, and the last part I'll say is that the other thing is, as I mentioned, getting selective with rights, all these streaming companies your, your Disney Pluses, your Paramount Pluses, your Peacocks, they're losing billions of dollars every year right now as they try to get profitable like Netflix. But it hasn't happened. And so they are making major cuts in content and staff and all kinds of stuff. That means less money available for sports. So the idea that streaming was going to keep college football you know, afloat or at least keep it the way it is, that's not going to happen. I think those are all good points. Um it's the I want to underscore the point about like what makes college football different in terms of rights, because I've seen a lot of people saying already that the MLS Apple deal is good exposure for the MLS. Right. Like it's it's something that like the type of fan and the growing demographics for soccer fans 
are probably Apple users, right? And they probably paid to watch Ted Lasso. <laughs> they probably Coming already soon. did. Season Coming three trailer soon. just dropped. Oh, the trailers look so good. I'm getting emotional already. Doing a rewatch, by the way. Highly recommend it. Start now. You got plenty of time. You got about two weeks till season three is back. Fly through it. You'll also catch, and this is a tangent, but ton of like early season Easter eggs in season one of stuff that happens in season two. It's really good. It's really good. Um, I think that Apple, in terms of exposure, like let's say it's Apple versus Amazon, whatever, more people are going to be able to watch Pac-12 through those than Pac-12 networks, right? Like I've lived and I've bought sports packages. I've lived in major U.S. cities and bought sports packages and have never had the Pac-12 network. Networks. I think it's plural. Yes. So no matter what it is, like a sports consumer like myself will be fine because I'll have it. It is harder you do need that second screen though, because you can't just flip back and forth between the different channels. It's a little bit more of a process to get to those games. I mean, I experienced that for, was it Kansas, Kansas state a few weeks ago, basketball where it was ESPN ESPN plus Plus. couldn't find the game. Took me five minutes to realize that it was, I had to then go into ESPN. I, I pay for ESPN plus because there's a lot of college football games in lower leagues that we need to watch, or sometimes, you know, exclusives in the big 12 or wherever it's a process. It's different. It's not the way that you normally consume things. And it would just be fascinating if the Pac-12 does this. And and even if it's not Apple, if it's not 100%, it's probably going to be a pretty high percentage that it's going to be a streamer. That is the opposite of the approach that the Big Ten just took to their media rights deals where they went like over the air channels, biggest possible audiences versus like we're going to put a ton of stuff behind a paywall and ask people to pay. They put a ton of basketball games behind a paywall. There will be some games behind a paywall, but they're going to be like, all right, we're going to have our big games are going to be on big Fox into CBS into NBC. And that is going to be your experience like an NFL Sunday. That is very different from what the experience is going to be really no matter which way it goes for the PAC 12, because we just know that there is going to be a significant streaming percentage and that's something that George Klyovkov has said since day one and that's part of their footprint they're in Silicon Valley all of the tech companies are in the Pac-12 footprint it's not as alienating as if you tried to do this in the SEC or you know other parts of the country but that is a very different approach than other leagues have been doing right and the Big Ten was able to do that because everybody wants to get in on the Big Ten because a lot more people watch Big Ten games. That's ultimately what this comes down to. This is not about markets or whatever have you. We had the last time we had major realignment. What matters now are people watching your games. The Big Ten gets the most viewership, so it gets the most people who want to buy the rights. The Pac-12 doesn't, and that was the big mistake they made when they made the Pac-12 networks. I was just talking to and uh, an industry expert on this earlier today, and, and the, the major, one of the biggest mistakes in the history of the conference was deciding to own the Pac-12 network themselves and not partnering with a Fox or ESPN. The SEC network is with ESPN. The Big Ten network was with Fox. Instead, the Pac-12 did it itself, eating all of those costs that come with running live television, hoping that one day they could flip that around for some major, major payday that never came. Because the Pac-12 just doesn't have the same rabid fan base that the Big Ten and the SEC do so you know streaming linear we'll see does amazon want to do maybe a friday night pack 12 game that kind of be a standalone that might work we'll see but ultimately 
I do think it's likely the Pac-12 will be okay. They'll probably get enough from ESPN and a streamer to keep everybody happy. Uh, and then the next time we come around with the media rights deal, things could really blow up. But we just wanted to talk about streaming. And the you know it used to be common knowledge, hey, streaming is the future of television. No, it's not. Not really. It's not saving television. Uh, sports is the only thing that is saving television. And now the the amount of money that is available is starting to dry up. And the first places that get hurt by that are places like the Pac-12, which may in fact end up being a canary in the coal mine. How different do you think this could have been if the Pac-12 did not have the Big 12 leapfrog and get their media rights extension done? Do you think that that impacts this? Because you were talking about like layoffs and all of the different cuts. I mean, all of that has happened in the last couple of months where... I don't know. Does this look different? Does the Pac-12 have a different opportunity if this is October of last year? Yes. The Big 12's move hurt the Pac-12 two different ways. One, it gave a guaranteed inventory for Fox that that the Pac-12 could no longer provide. Fox has said they're not really interested in the Pac-12 anymore. And the other is they set the market. They set the number on what the Pac-12 could get. That number that the Big 12 got, while it was more than it was before, it's probably less than it could have been. They didn't take it to market. They decided to renegotiate early with Fox and ESPN, something that, remember, before Texas and Oklahoma left, that January would have been, what, 2021? There was a a, a president or somebody at Texas Tech basically said that ESPN decided not to early renegotiate our contract. That We all missed that sign. That was the sign that, hey, they don't value the Big 12 that much. Texas and Oklahoma decide to jump this time around. The big 12 was like, Oh no, 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 we'll do it. Whatever you want. We'll renegotiate right now. Like, let's just, let's make a deal right now. So we have some, some security with a deal, a number that was feels good, but is not good as it could have been because they wanted that timing. And so they set that number with 31.7 or something like that, basically guaranteeing that the PAC 12, even though it went to market was probably not going to get much more than that. And that's where the PAC 12 sits. It's, going to be fascinating here i again i think we'll get the media deal at some point here in the next couple of weeks everyone's going to look at what is that money per school per year what is the inventory breakdown of where these games are going to air and then obviously you know does the pac-12 then expand are they doing these things in con in concert with each other san diego state smu whoever that might be that piece is going to come as well because you know either right at the same time, right after, whatever it was, this has always been hand in hand with the media deal. Also, just to put a bow on your point about how like streamers are not going to save any company or any industry because just because they're also not going to overpay. So that's another piece to this. When you don't have as much competition as say the big 10 rights did, What's the price point? You know, what are these Amazons or Apples? They're not just going to come in here and give you above what they know you'll accept for no reason. So we'll see. Hopefully we'll have some news on that here in the next few weeks. Um, I'm sure Andy will have an emergency pod to break it all down. But that is the big thing moving forward and certainly affects stability across the entire landscape. It is time to wrap things up with our last call. Cheers or jeers. This is the part of the show where we decide we want to celebrate, decide we want to rant. It's whatever we might be doing as the bar is closing. 
And it's last call. We're going to get our final round of drinks and cheers to something. So, Chris, I will let you go first. I wouldn't be a sports writer if I didn't give a shout out and a cheers to the city of Indianapolis, which is the host of the NFL Combine this week and also college meetings and stuff like that. Uh, It is the perfect big event town. If you have never been, uh, I'm not saying visit like on a on a vacation, but it's worth visiting if you're going for like a Final Four or a Big Ten championship game or a Big Ten tournament or something like that. Incredibly walkable, everything's close. Uh, good bars around town and everything. So I just wanted to shout out the city of Indianapolis. I've got family there. My wife's family is there as well. Uh, Indianapolis, very very good sports event town. I know the national championship game there a couple of years ago was freezing. January, early January is tough, but most of the year, if, uh, if if you're going to a big event, Indianapolis is a pretty good place to host it. My last call will piggyback on yours. I'm totally with you on this. Indianapolis sometimes gets a bad rep, like when it had the national championship game a couple years ago, because yes. it was extremely cold that weekend. There was a lot of ice. I saw multiple people wipe out. However, there is an indoor tunnel system where you don't actually have to go outside. You can go between the hotels. You can get to restaurants. People were not doing that, but it was very cold. It was also Georgia and Alabama playing in a national title. So it was like, now we have to go to a cold weather city. (laughs) Like, eh, you know, Atlanta's right there. Dallas is right there. So I get it. But it really is. It's especially great for basketball tournaments because it's a little warmer that time of year. We've both been there for the combine. My... Last call goes out to the St. Elmo shrimp. It Mm. is as hot as advertised. One of the best and great joys of my life is watching someone eat the St. Elmo shrimp for the very first time, unaware of just how much horseradish there is in it. I, I enjoy it so much. And every year at the combine, there's always someone. There's always someone who's never had it, never been there. Thinks it's regular shrimp cocktail. It is not. It is so much better than that. So I enjoy it. I always get it because I like horseradish. I like the spice. I like feeling like my sinuses got cleared out once a year when I go there. But shout out specifically to the shrimp cocktail. When they had that at the championship game, they had four different tables full of giant platters of shrimp cocktail. You know I ate it, even though it was kind of just sitting out there in a giant blob. It was delicious. I did not get sick from it. So cheers to the shrimp and the shrimp and the people that eat the shrimp. And and I know it's 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 very common to be like, oh, the popular thing that all the tourists say to go to is not the real place you want to go to go to so-and-so place. No, that's the place to go. Downtown yes. Indianapolis yes. is mostly it's mostly full of chains, if we're being honest. Chains and bars. Like it's a good place. But there are not many unique places like St. Elmo's. So it is it is very much the touristy place to go, but it is also worth going. Also, Bluebeard and Mesh. A little bit out of the way. You'll thank me later. Um, also, shout out to our buddy, Connor, who works at Homefield. Homefield yep. centered in Indy, and he also has like two pages of notes of recommendations if you don't want to go to yes. St. Elmo's. But the la- when I was in Indy for the Instability Convention with you, uh, I hung out with Connor one night. Yeah, he's he, he, he is rundown. He is awesome, and so is Indy. So shout out to Indy. 
you're going to be hearing from a lot of different sports writers this week about how great it is, how they should never move the combine. They are correct. This is one of the things that group think is correct on. So we'll let them have it, but that will do it for this week's edition of power hour. Well, the football edition of power hour, because power hour will have some special shows this month. With College Hoops, I'll be joined by CJ Moore later this week. But Chris Manini will be back next week, as always, for our off-season college football power hours. So for Chris, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Thanks for listening. (music) 